This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Thursday, the 15th of February. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wang Xiaoning and Keith Kam. Now, in half an hour, we're going to be discussing the recent developments in China's hospitality and gaming industry, getting an outlook of what might happen during the Chinese New Year lunar festivities. But as always, we're going to kickstart the morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. Wall Street closed with Way higher after a, a strong handover from Europe uh, and also after the previous day's sell-off. The Dow Jones was up 0.4%. That's up more than 100 points. The S&P 500 was up 1%. The Nasdaq was up 1.3%. It was kind of a red day in Asia earlier. Uh, the Japan's, Japan's Nikkei was down 0.7%, but Hong Kong's Hang Seng managed to gain 0.8%. Shanghai's composite uh, remains close for the Chinese New Year holidays. Singapore's SDI was down 0.1%. And the FBM KLCI closed 0.1% lower at 1,529 points. All right. For some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Tony Nash, CEO of Complete Intelligence. Tony, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. So hotter than expected, US CPI numbers have dampened market expectations of a rate cut. How do you think the Fed will view those figures? And where do you think they'll place the timing for the first rate cut of 2024? Yeah, I think the Fed sees the hot CPI number as their policy just not having enough time to work. So jobs are relatively strong. Inflation is reinserting itself. So it's definitely higher for longer. There had been an expectation of, say, a March rate cut, but that's definitely gone now. Uh, markets have wanted an earlier cut, which is why we saw so much activity in stocks. So we're seeing some stuttering in valuations, a lot of the choppiness in valuations at the moment as investors try to figure out, you know, where is fair value. So the next rate cut is likely July. So it's pushed back pretty dramatically from what we expected, unless we see something change. Um, if, if we see recession come in or job cuts or deflation or something like that. But what we've seen over the past couple of years is the Fed has proven that it's determined and that it's patient. So they're not in a rush to cut. What does this then mean for the quantum of cuts, Tony? I think market is expecting a range between three, probably now three to five cuts for this year. What are your expectations? Oh, yeah, I I definitely don't see uh, cuts coming at the rate at which they started. Meaning, remember those first two cuts were, or first two rate rises were 75 basis mm. points. We're definitely not going to see 75 basis point rate cuts. And so in, unless we see some dramatic uh, problems in, say, housing or equities or something like that, um, if it's really just dialing down because inflation has slowed, then there'll be minimal rate cuts and they'll be spaced out over time uh, because, you know, we're really just getting back to kind of a normal rate environment. So we've been in a, a zero interest rate environment uh, for so long that people are not accustomed to actually having a real cost of money, which is what interest rates are. And so, you know, we're probably in a zone between, say, four to five percent where they may actually want to keep interest rates in that zone to have a, a normal cost of money and cost of risk. Tony, with this in mind and the stock market rally that we've been seeing in the past couple of weeks or so, uh, along with you know how how well tech companies like Microsoft and Nvidia have been have been doing, 
what, what what do you foresee going into the coming weeks as far as the market is concerned? Yeah, companies like Microsoft and NVIDIA are really in their own realm. Um, and, uh, you know, the mag stocks, they're pulling the entire market. So um, when we see a rally, it's not a market-wide rally. It's largely concentrated in those those stocks. Last week, for example, we saw Facebook rise by 21% in one day. That's unbelievable. Um, and for a company that size to see a 21% rise in their value, it's it's really, really strange. So investors will have to see a dramatic change in news, or they'll have to see investment funds dump shares before they give up their current positions. Um, one telling factor may be Jeff Bezos's sale of a large tranche of Amazon stock this week. Uh, he could be signaling that he thinks the market is at a top, so he's cashed in for now. So if that's what he's communicating to markets, we'll have to see if investors really receive that and what they do with those tech shares. Okay, can I talk about NVIDIA? Because that's another stock that's just gone gangbusters, right? It's up almost 50% mm -hmm. on a year-to-date basis. I'm looking at Bloomberg forward piece of 60 times it overtook Alphabet and Amazon mm -hmm. in terms of market cap. Are we putting too much money and too much faith into AI? Um, I don't think uh, we're putting too much faith in AI. I think we need to examine the earnings of those AI companies harder to understand the quality of those earnings. Um, if NVIDIA is rallying and other semiconductor companies are not rallying, we have to ask why and look really deeply into their value chain and understand what their sales process looks like. I'm not sure that a lot of these investors have really looked that deeply into what NVIDIA actually does, what risks they actually have, what their value chain is like, how they get revenues and so on. It's just that it's seen as the, you know, the picks and shovels for AI which is great, but we all saw what, well, maybe we didn't. I saw what happened with Cisco Systems in the dot-com bubble in 2000, right? And, and some people were around for that. And I was. The underlying, yeah, the underlying theory there was, well, Cisco has the picks and shovels for the internet. And that's great until it's not. And then, you know, it loses a lot of value. So I think NVIDIA is in a place where, you know, people are so bulled up on it. Um, and the, the, my problem, I'm not making any investment re recommendations here, but how much benefit is there versus the risk of the valuation? I don't know. Um, that's something that I try to run every day. I run an artificial intelligence software company, and I don't understand the upside left in NVIDIA. And so, you know, but maybe there is. I don't compete with them at all. So this isn't a, this isn't a jab at NVIDIA. I'm just saying... I don't understand these valuations and I don't understand where that additional alpha comes from with a company like NVIDIA, but maybe I'm just missing it. Can we turn our attention to perhaps the oil and gas sector where we see the U.S. is producing around 13 million barrels of crude per day, which is more than any country on the globe, including Saudi Arabia. How do you think this is affecting um, the influence of OPEC and Russia in determining supply factors such as price? And where do you see oil price trending um, over the next quarters or so? Yeah, I think um, with oil prices, I think uh, we... Part of the reason we haven't seen a geopolitical risk premium 
with the uh, conflict in the Middle East is because of the supply that the U.S. has put on the market. If the U.S. didn't have, let's say we were in 2007 or something, and we had the conflict in, in the Middle East that we have, we would definitely see a larger geopolitical risk in the crude price. Um, I also think that uh, natural gas is a factor as well. So if we look at Europe, for example, um, the U.S. provides, I think, more than 40 percent of the natural gas for Europe, which just two or three years ago, it wasn't anywhere close to that because they were taking Russian nat gas. But nat gas prices are declining and continue to decline because the U.S. has put so much nat gas and so much LNG on the market. So those prices are somewhat paired in, in European and Asian markets. And again, part of it is the geopolitical risk premium isn't there because of the supply the U.S. has put on the market. The other part is the U.S. has flooded the market with nat gas in Europe. You know, the U.S. provides 21 percent of LNG to China and so on. So this supply has really helped to keep those prices down. Tony, can I can we just look at uh, the Japanese yen? It hit uh, a high not against the U.S. dollar, um, not well the weakest against the U.S. dollar, not seen since the nineteen nineties. One hundred and fifty, nearly one hundred fifty one yen to the dollar overnight. Uh, what's your outlook on this? Especially since the finance minister himself did give a warning that um, what he's seeing is undesirable. Does it signal some kind of intervention, maybe? Yeah, I mean, they, they've signaled signaled that they're not happy with this a couple times over the past, say, quarter or so. Um, but they they change policy at the edges. They typically don't make dramatic policy changes. So what I'd see is maybe a small intervention, um, but I think they'll likely just talk about it. And I don't think they're necessarily going to fight the U.S. data, uh, CPI or you know other U.S. data. Um, we have to keep in mind, Japan is really sandwiched between a booming U.S. and a really faltering Chinese economy. And so they can't get too, um, uh, too tight on monetary policy because China is such a big trade partner for them. And there, there are so many Japanese companies with manufacturing sites and even headquarters in China. Um, and so they have to be really careful to play between the two. The GDP data is coming out later this morning. Any idea what, what we can expect? Yeah, um, it'll probably be moderately strong. I don't think it's going to be, you know, uh, crazy strong. If we look at it in yen terms, it might look very strong. But if we look at it, say, in dollar terms, I think it will be maybe moderately strong. Tony, thanks as always for the chat. That was Tony Nash, CEO of Complete Intelligence, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. Can we turn our attention to some earnings reports that have crossed our table? I think Cisco is making the headlines. Their revenue declined 6% on year to $12.8 billion US dollars for its fiscal second quarter ending January 27th. Revenue from networking products totaled $7.1 billion, while net income for the quarter declined 5% to $2.6 billion. So on Wednesday, Cisco did announce plans to cut 5% of its workforce and that's going to affect something like more than 4,200 jobs. Uh, it is the latest company, tech company to downsize in 2024. The industry is continuing to reduce costs due to the market downturn.
So, okay, if you look why the street is not happy, the world's largest maker of networking equipment is also guiding much lower numbers than anticipating. Um, they are saying that the sales will be between 12.1 billion to 12.3 versus street expectations of 13.1 billion, saying that their end customers are actually holding back on purchases signalling that there is weakness in the overall economy. Now, what does this mean for the street? Do they still like this name? And the answer is no. Nine buys, 18 holes, just one sell. Consensus target price for this stock, 53 US dollars and 37 cents. Last done during regular market hours, it was actually up 64 cents to 50 dollars and 28 cents. You know what they need to do? They need to find their AI angle ASAP. That's true. You know, any mention of AI really gets investors excited. Um, so perhaps, yeah, that's something that they should be looking into. Uh, it's coming up to 7.19 a.m. We'll be heading into some messages, but we'll come back to look at more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.